Good afternoon. It is Friday, July 13th. This is Chickie Fitzgerald with the Executive Girlfriends Group, and uh, we are blessed today to have as our guest Jane. And Jane is the author of a, a book called The Sole Proprietor's Formula for Building Your Business, Things I Wish I Had Known when I started my business. And uh, Jane's last name, I'm sorry, I went right to her it's first name. Pollock. Jane yeah. Pollock. And uh, Jane has a, a very, very interesting story, and I was having a, a lot of fun kind of navigating through her, her website, which we'll share that with you at the end of the call. But, Jane, I just want to welcome you today, and thank you for sharing your Friday with us. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. Well, the the fun thing that I kind of started off with was I was reading your blog and you were uh, sharing the fact that you just had a milestone birthday and we normally think about those milestone birthdays as ending in a zero and the <laughs> one ended in a four and you reminded us of a Beatles song and I'll, I'll leave the intrigue for our listeners to figure out what song that might have been but I just loved it how you were talking about it you know clearly as simply a number that we all look uh, it felt so far in the future when when uh, the particular Beatles song was popular. But you actually took some time for yourself, and you you took what it sounds like a, at least a month off. Which I'm uh, actually still in, on my sabbatical, but there are a few oh. offers that I couldn't refuse, including this interview. And then I'm also somebody invited me to a Toastmasters meeting on the 23rd to be the expert. You know, somebody who's gone through it. And I thought these are like rolling off a log for me, so I definitely want to stay connected, and I didn't want to say no. So really oh, happy to I do that but i have a, a very action. strong message to you know to take time for yourself because i uh, you know so far it's been well since july 1st and it is it feels so good not to have that that sort of not guillotine but something you know hanging over like the oh, next yeah. thing to do i feel so relaxed and at peace and i feel like you know ideas are beginning to flow and you know what's really important about my life so to take time even if it's you know 10 minutes a day or a week i you know a week a month a day a month something right. where you have time to reflect is important well, I really love that, and and again, I was just uh, I, I just had to laugh because there were there were a couple of things about your story that really resonated with me, and one was uh, that your start uh, as as an artist, or perhaps it wasn't your start, but it was uh, clearly a defining moment, was uh, painting eggs, and and it is uh, actually a Ukrainian word that I'm not even going to try to pronounce. But, <laughs> but talk to us a little bit about those early days. I'd be happy to. You know, I was I was. Talking Telling somebody, I was sort of recounting my life. Now that I'm at the advanced age, of, they'll have to look on my blog to find out. But you know, when I was growing up, you could be a teacher, a nurse, a housewife, or a secretary. So I never thought beyond my vision was to get married, have three children, and be a teacher. And I did that. And when I when I became a teacher, I was twenty, you know, twenty four years old, and I I was an art teacher. And one of the other teachers said one of the things we do with our art students is Ukrainian Easter eggs, and the Ukrainian word is pisanke, which means eggs which have been written on. And I thought, you do Easter eggs in high school? Give me a break. You know, only as arrogant as a twenty four year old could be. And then she opened up a dozen of hers, and I had never seen them, and I was amazed. I said, how do you do that? She taught me that afternoon. I went. Uh, she gave me the tool. It's called a kiska. I went home that night. I stopped at the hardware store and bought a one-pound brick of beeswax, which lasted me through my entire career. And I made one, and it was bliss. 
So I, I taught the kids how to do them, all my students. We loved it. I think we spent six weeks doing it. I called the New York Times. I said, you have to see what we're doing in Stanford, Connecticut. You won't believe this. It was, it was, it, my passion was opened up. And I exhibited that first summer. I sold eggs to people who didn't know me. So here was this effect of strangers coming up and wanting what I had to offer, which was amazing. And then the other thing that happened was a woman came up to my booth. And my booth at the time was a card table with a tablecloth. I mean, I had, it was 1973. And she said, I'm, I'm from Bloomingdale's, and I run special events there. Would you like to do a special event and teach people how to make these eggs? And I thought, it's so easy to make money selling your art. And was, you know, I call it uninformed optimism. <laughs> but it was, you know, it was, it opened the door for me. So I, you know, I did that. I did more shows. I taught another year and then I had children. But I saw that as a vehicle. And I think the thing about being an entrepreneur is that you see opportunity and you get to expand on opportunity. And that's true of anybody in anything. But entrepreneurs specifically, it's like, how do I make a business out of this? Well, and then, uh, and I, I don't know the time progression here, but then you you actually got on the Today Show. That was many years, but the first. So I did I did a lot of shows. I you know I was raising my daughter, and then I had a son, and then another daughter, and my primary focus was absolutely my children. So I taught a continuing ed class in egg decorating, and then I was also very interested in quilting. So and then I would do one show a year, and then maybe I graduated to two shows a year. But it was not my focus. I would say I kept you know people say keep your finger in or your toe in. I kept a fingernail in as a business person. You know I'd make twenty five dollars in nineteen seventy three and think it was all the money in the world. But I so the first big break I got was um, a recognition by the White House. I was invited to do an Easter egg for the White House. And so I started to get some, uh, you know, local recognition. Oh, my God, Jane, she's in the White House. Her eggs are in the Smithsonian. And then it began to grow and escalate. But, it, you know, primarily I want to say that to people who have young children. It's like it's okay to take your time and to let a business grow gradually. And then, you know, I started expanding. The Today Show wasn't until 2001, so that was, you know, many, many years. But I did many other TV shows in the meantime. And I think if I had had the Today Show right away, I wouldn't have been ready for it. It was, you know, there's this whole evolution that you go through of, you know, being comfortable. And, and one of my biggest pieces of advice to anybody growing up is is go to Toastmasters because that's where I learned how to be comfortable speaking my message, getting in front of a camera, um, having an audience, waiting for applause. So, you know, those were lessons I learned. So by the time I got to the Today Show in 2001, I, I could comfortably talk to an Ann Curry or a Katie Couric and hold my own very, very strongly. Right. So you obviously did not uh, develop a worldwide franchise uh, selling the day. <laughs> um, you know, even though it was your passion, it didn't become uh, your long-term livelihood. So tell us about that transition, because I found that very interesting as well. Well, it is a livelihood, but I've never, my aspiration has never been to be a multimillionaire. <clears throat> Why I call myself a sole proprietor, S-O-U-L proprietor, and a lifestyle entrepreneur is that it's very important that what I do in my life for money works in my life rather than that I that I work for my business, my business works for me. And that's a um, distinction that I really want to get across to people. That was the higher value for me, not making millions of dollars not not that I don't like nice things, but I didn't aspire right. to a larger house, bigger, more jewelry, boats. That was never something that I wanted to acquire. So I think really understanding your own values. And for me, my highest values are time with family and friends, 
being appreciated for what I do and really feeling valued in my life. So, you know, and and having time for what I want are the most important things. So once you choose that, whether it's mm-hmm. achievement, recognition, or whatever, right. and, and honor those values, that's what, what makes for a happy person. Well, and all of that other stuff is not only is it highly overrated, but as we have found out during the economic crisis, it can also be incredibly fleeting. It can, um, it can go away very quickly. And I just yes. read a George Carlin quote. He said, um, it would be like if you were very hungry pasting uh, sandwiches to your skin. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't actually go in. And so it's, you know, what I've learned in my, in my long life is that it's really an ins- happiness is an inside job. And what we do in addition to having happiness is uh, really dependent on, on what our desires are, what our values are. And for me, those things, being able to artistically express myself and have family and love, those were the most important things to me. And I was able to do that. It was a second income for our family. So when you say livelihood, I if I had had to put my kids through college on my earnings, I would have made different decisions. But as it right. was, it was a supplemental income. Well, you know, the interesting thing is, and, uh, you know, I've kind of been on, on both ends of the spectrum and, and am having my second time around now, having having lost it all through what I call my spectacular failure. Mm-hmm. Um but even during that spectacular failure, uh, from a business perspective, every measure that you know people would apply to it externally, the growth and the change, uh, even in my marriage and with my children, uh, during that time was amazing. And and to watch um, God's amazing provision in our life when there was no money coming into a household that had needed tens of thousands to operate before our failure, uh, you know, because of not only the lifestyle that we had chosen, you know, I was working full-time, so we had a live-in nanny, and we were putting her through college and paying for her car and her insurance on top of private school for the kids and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all with many dollar signs attached to them. And, you know, how this time around what is important, um, you know, really has shaped uh, where we're going to, um, and and uh, you know, much like you, I've I've taken a long look. Now, I have been the primary breadwinner, and it's interesting. I didn't share this with you before the call. Um, out of our 700 members in the Executive Girlfriends Group, I would venture to guess that two thirds of them are the primary breadwinners. In interesting, family. interesting. It's a, it's a very interesting dynamic. This one of executive women. Um, and we have some entrepreneurs and some sole proprietors, uh, spelled as you do, S-O-U-L, proprietors, who are doing uh, you know, what they're passionate about but not necessarily making the kind of money that they would like. Um, but you know, we've got people all the way across the spectrum, all the way up to the Fortune uh, you know, 100 and Fortune 500 executives who uh, you know, are devoting everything that they have to companies. And I watched it happen three years ago. I would get a call from one of them I can't believe. One day I was handing pink slips out to my staff, and the next day it was mine. Mm-hmm. And you know, their whole uh, sense of worth was tied up into what was on their business card. Yeah. So this is such a great conversation because what I'd postulate and, you know, I'm going on the record as saying is that sometimes we keep our lives very complicated so that we can't look at what's really true for us. And so if you've got all those things going on, you don't have time to say, I'm unhappy in my marriage, I'm unhappy with my weight, I'm unhappy with my, you know, the way I relate to my children because I'm so busy, I'm so busy, I've got to put out that fire. 
and when you take all that away, there you are. So I would I I would question what is it, you know what is it that you really want? I mean that's the big question in coaching is what do you really want? And then the lifestyle and livelihood that we choose for ourselves is really uh, you know does it match with what what it is you're saying? And how ta- how many times is it a cover up for what you really want? So it's you know I didn't know we would get philosophical, but I think you've really brought something <laughs> up that is very philosophical, but really important yeah. and doesn't get discussed because people are what they say on their cards, their status or their you know their bottom line. I remember I think one of my first reunions. Oh, I know my dentist said he he went to Harvard and he said you know at the tenth or twentieth it was the first time people didn't come in with their W twos like you know that's how they measured success was oh. what their income tax statement was. And that you know, I'm impressed by that, and I get it's like that ooh shiny. I'm, I, I notice it, but when I come back to the end of the day, what do I want? I want to have somebody with their arms around me. I want to have you know food that feels really good for my body. I want to get eight hours of sleep. It's really pretty simple. Right. Well, I, I'd like to circle back to the book, and and um, I, I'd like to kind of touch on the high points of the lessons that you talk about. Uh, as as a part of this whole sole proprietor message. And uh, the first one is what we just talked about. If you really want something, pursue it directly. And and I think that that word directly is really key. And uh, I suspect there are some stories behind this particular one. Um, well, I thought, you know, you growing up, and I, I'm a little bit older than you, and maybe things shifted a little bit, but... Um, you know, the way you got ahead in school was being a good girl, getting good grades, and waiting to be selected. And I thought, you know, when I in my 20s and 30s that if I just, you know, really worked hard that I would get noticed. Now, I've always been an entrepreneur and maybe in corporate America, but I, I think in corporate America, too, you really have to toot your own horn a lot. So I was, um, there was a magazine that I wanted to get my artwork into called Ornament Magazine. And I would say, I wonder how they got, you know, there was something called an artist statement, and it was always a picture, a page of beautiful photographs and an artist statement. I thought, how do you get selected for that? You must have to, you know, the editor must have to find you at a craft show, or you must have to get into, you know. And so I called the magazine one day, and I said, I'm just curious how people get the artist statement. They said, oh, you have to just ask and send in your slides. It's like, really? That's it? And so I did, and I got into Ornament Magazine. And that's, you know, and that has become a key question. It's like, how do you get what you want? You ask for it. Rather than wishing and keeping your fingers crossed or waiting for a magic wand, it's going directly after what you want. And to back up a little bit, one of the things I do with my clients is ask them, what do they really want, whether it's through a vision board or a visioning statement that you get quiet and say, what makes my heart sing? You know, is it is it, um, you know, a, a palace? Is it peace and quiet? What is that? And then when you can define it, then you can go after it. Well, you know, it's funny, Jane, because we were talking uh, actually before we started the recorded, recorded portion of the call, and I was telling you a little bit of my story. And when I decided I didn't want to pursue consulting as that thing that made my heart sing, because it didn't, um, <laughs> I was really good at it. And, I mean, that that's kind of the rub. I, that was what I, I really had been groomed to do. But... Um, I was sitting one day, uh, you know, just weeks after my my uh, company had shut down, uh, the the uh, entrepreneurial startup that I had done, uh, and raised a, a bunch of money and built uh, some really amazing technology. But I was sitting in my living room, and I, it was as if someone had walked in the room and given me this gift wrapped 
business plan with everything start to finish. And, and in the space of about an hour, I went from not even thinking about doing interviewing of people on the radio, not even knowing what was involved in it, um, to three weeks later launching 12 radio shows with my opening show being uh, the woman who had been the um, the president of CBS Radio and Libby Gill who had helped to launch um, a, a number of things uh, on, on the major networks. And what I found out is, you know, I wanted to interview authors. I thought that sounded really cool, but then I thought, oh, my gosh, how do you do that? Same kind of thing. And you know, as I'm sure Patty's been chuckling on on, on the uh, other side of the phone, my my executive producer, we have found it's really amazing. You do just call and ask, would you be on my show? And it's amazing. <laughs> we have now done over 400 interviews, and I and I laugh when I'm standing in a, a bookstore in front of the the business books because as I'm looking across the shelves, I'm saying, oh, I've interviewed that one and that one. And that uh, last Sunday night, my husband and I were watching Secret Millionaire. And and the guy who was the guest was one of my earliest interviews when I launched oh. my radio network. And it's like, Steve, I'd like you to be on my new show because we've just launched one called Uncommon Giving. So you're absolutely right. You've got to pursue it directly and you've got to ask for it. So the next one I'm I'm intrigued by, It's uh, the lesson is it's necessary to dress the part. Talk to me about that. You know, um, I took I took a I, I've always taken classes. I think it's just a wonderful thing to do because, especially nowadays, there's just so much to learn. But this was something at the Fashion Institute of Technology. It was called the Women Business Owners Program, and I think there were maybe twenty twenty five of us women business owners. And I think it was three times a week. So I was commuting from Connecticut to New York. I was really eager, and uh, you know, and I met fantastic people. And there would be somebody on marketing, and somebody on business law, and somebody on sales. And the last session was image. And I think that was really smart because by that time we had gotten to know each other. And image is a touchy subject. So, you know, it's very hard to tell people, you know, uh, you don't have the right look for what you're selling, you know, and, and you project whatever, you know, whatever it is you're doing. So, um, so, so she got each of us up there individually and she said to this first person, you know, who is your, who's your target market? Now, to describe the woman, this is late 1980s, she had a punk hairdo and remember tales? She had this like little braid coming down, and she said, I go into corporations, and I, I help them with their information technology. And she said, you know, forget it. you you really got to soften your look. You lose the tail, you know, tailor, you know, and, and so she, you know, suggested for this woman. And then the next woman got up, and she looked like she had on, seriously, the way the Salvation Army women in, in Guys and Dolls, you know, they wore the severe blue suits. She was an accountant, which made sense, but she said, I want a creative clientele. And she said, get dresses and wear statement earrings and, and let your hair grow. And then I got up there and she said, you know, I don't remember what I had on, but I said I want to attract, you know, people with a discretionary income who have cl classic taste and want something elegant because I was also, in addition to the eggs, I was making jewelry pieces and I knew who my clients were. And she said, it, it cut to the bone, she said, your haircut's too suburban. So here I am trying to be this great artist and you know and I look like a housewife and so and she dressed me and you know made some suggestions and she also offered me um her hairstylist in New York who was such a kick he he met me at the door with a um a sleeveless t-shirt and a parrot on his shoulder <laughs> so thought, uh oh and he gave me an asymmetrical haircut anyhow 6 months later we all come back in our new guises and to a one, we said we are attracting our market now because 
you need to dress the part. We, you know, play the game of who you are. And, you know, the more you do that, the more you convince your audience, yes, this is who I want to do business with. Oh, one of my yeah. one of my favorite speakers, I don't know if you're familiar with Jim Rohn, who's called America's oh. Philosopher, and he was from Arkansas, I think, but he said, people shouldn't judge you by how you look, but they do. <laughs> just you know they do and so you know if you're if you're a banker wear a suit if you're an artist wear something funkier wear black if you're a you know if you're in the caring business wear some soft colors and and nothing structured it's very important to dress the part we you know we we're so visually oriented that we want to see what we expect when a person has a certain role so whatever you're in you know if you went to venture capitalists and they were wearing jeans and t-shirts it would probably make you nervous <laughs> but if you were a startup group and they weren't wearing jeans and t-shirts it would probably make you nervous so it's you know right. you want to you want to play the role that you're in right so you talked about your personal image so so now how about your company's image what what are the things that shape uh, your company's image. You know, that's really important too because especially on the internet, you can make a snap judgment of people. And what I'm, you know, it's I just did a talk about this recently and what I'm realizing is that logo is actually becoming less important. You know, we all know the Nike swoosh and the McDonald's arches. Right. <clears throat> but it's that's almost subliminal now. It's really the overall effect of your message. So you know, I think you can you can go to a homepage of a website, and that's really it's your business card and your homepage are the two first connections people have with you, and they have to represent you. So, for I actually changed my web my look just six months ago. It was my tagline is leading remarkable women to uncommon success, and my everything was coral colored, and it actually turned a lot of people off, which surprised me. I thought it would be really zero in on my market for women, but I've now changed to something that actually matches my book cover, and it's my artwork. The Paisley design is my artwork, and right. and the lo- the logo Jane. But I think you're always conveying, and it's you know how how easy is it to navigate your website? You know, right. is that everything there? Is it up to date? Those are all judgments. Those that's your image. So if you have a speaking engagement from 2006, there's no credibility. If your last blog post was from October, where's the credibility? So you know you want to is everything. It all counts. It all counts, and a lot of it is subliminal. People won't say I judged you because of this, but there's that you know that sort of meter that goes off. It's like something isn't congruent here with what this message is. So well, all, all no, of that I is important. We get a lot of um, a lot of notes from folks, you know, wanting to be on our various shows, and uh, you know, book covers are a big thing for me. Yeah. And uh, because self-publishing is what it is, a mm-hmm. lot of people are, are trying to do that on the cheap. But, you know, if you're going to write a book, make sure you pay attention to the cover art. And one of my big uh, 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 pet peeves is authors who have all of their photo shoot done in a color, uh, you know, a jacket or whatever that uh, clashes with their book <laughs> Because, right. you know, so frequently they're sitting right next to each other. And, and again, that does speak to image. And, um, you know, a, as a serial entrepreneur that frequently has to bootstrap, you know, I know that my websites aren't precisely what I would like for them to be. And one of the first things I will spend money on are, you know, are that upgrade of face. Because I think that uh, you've hit it right on, on the nose as we used to pay attention to a different set of things. And um, you know that's all changing, and the sa- the same thing with social media. 
and so, also you know, the the message the message is that you've made an investment in yourself when you when you go out there and you look congruent. And there's you know it's interesting because there are also people who absolutely don't have it who are wildly successful. But I would say, you know, it, those might be one percent of the population. Right. Otherwise, I think there you know some rules you need to follow. And I think easy to find, navigable, good, attractive looking. Those are really important. Right. In, in terms of your website, your visual, how you, I mean, you, what you want to look is put together and professional. You know, the attractiveness is really what you emanate. Yes, definitely. Now, we're not going to have time to go through all of the different lessons, but I do want to just share what some of them are uh, with our listeners so that uh, they, they will get a copy of the book and, and uh, you know, be able to focus in on these. So the next one is when someone gives you a lead, do the necessary work, even though the rewards aren't known in advance. Um, which follows right into it's your business and you're in charge of every aspect of it, even the jobs that you delegate. And, and again, speaking as the entrepreneur who is frequently having to ask for favors of people, it's really hard to come down on people who you've delegated something to who are volunteering their <laughs> I don't know if you've run into that, but... Um, well, know, anytime you're working with a volunteer, it's, you know, it, it, I heard a great statement when I was a parent volunteer at my kid's school, and it was, she said, uh, people will crawl over broken glass for a thank you. And I think what happens is, you know, there's financial recognition and there's achievement and press, but to actually say, you know, Chicky, I'm so grateful for what you did, you know, to acknowledge somebody is we are so hungry for that. And that's right. that's free. You know, it's really, I think we're, you can, people do things that they wouldn't do for anybody else because they want to be appreciated. And, and mm-hmm. whether you're paying them or they're volunteers, you can't, you can't get enough of, uh, you know, giving gratitude to people. I think that's really key. Right. And, and you actually also talk about this from receiving um, those compliments. Well, I don't know if this ever happened to you. My my sense is that you, you know, that you've had a lot of success and that you're very comfortable receiving praise, but artists, you know, I I speak for myself, but as artists, you know, we I would put my artwork out there so you could say, "Oh, that's so beautiful." And I would say, "Great." But if you said, "Oh, Jane, you that's a beautiful sweater." I go, "Lomans." You know, I didn't I just I couldn't take it in and I realized how important it is to be able to receive praise, to, you know, for or even applause when I stand and give a speech to actually stand there and receive that can be very uncomfortable for people who aren't used to the spotlight. But it actually, um, it, it's not a compliment to your audience. If you leave, you want them, they want to show, shower you. And so receiving that is a way of saying, thank you for appreciating me. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm taking in your appreciation. And that's, you know, women particularly are not, you know, not comfortable with praise. So I think that's one of the lessons is to, allow it, absorb it, and, you know, I told my daughter, it's like, put your hand over your heart and just breathe into it. If you're having trouble, just go, thank you, thank you. Because it's for them, not for you. Exactly. There is a great book uh, that focuses in on that. It's called uh, The Go-Giver. It's by uh, Bob Berg and John David Mann. And it the the first four chapters are about giving, and the fifth uh, well, it's not four chapters, but the first four lessons uh, out of the five lessons in the book are about uh, giving, but the fifth one is about receiving, and it talks mm-hmm. about how the ocean, you know, cannot just flow out; it mm. must eventually flow in. Mm-hmm. And and the same thing with breath. You know, if all we did was breathe out, uh, right. we would, uh, never be able to sustain that. So it's right. necessarily to take in that compliment. And I think you know the next one is important too. Is 
There are always days that are slated for growth or learning. Stay with them and don't get upset. And and you uh, have a quote here that I actually used in one of my first books. Opportunity is missed by most because it's dressed in overalls and it looks like work. Yeah. And, there's, you know, there's I'm in also... the, the stage right now of my business where we, we are building, and the building phase is a lot of work. And, and um, But I realize, too, I am learning the most right now at this particular moment in time and how I deal with those things. Have have you ever heard the legend Acres of Diamonds? No. It's uh, Russell Conwell, I think his name is, but Earl Nightingale, who's one of the uh, old-time gurus, uh, talks about it. This farmer, you know, is I think in Africa or something, and he hears that there are diamonds all over the countryside, and he sells his, you know, multi-acre farm or something, and goes searching in, in search of diamonds, you know, like for years and years and years, and comes back bereft and dead. And of course, the person who bought his farm found these unusual-looking rocks, and he studied them, and he worked on them, and he polished them, and they were diamonds. They were in his own backyard, but he didn't know they were there. Of course, he takes 45 minutes to tell that, but you know, we all have diamonds that. We we don't we don't mind because it's hard it's really hard and i think particularly for sole proprietors and entrepreneurs you don't have a cubicle next to you to say how am i doing now how am i doing now so there's that that's why i think it's so important to work on yourself my favorite quote is jim rohn who said work harder on yourself than you do on your career because in order to withstand that time before the investors come, before you know people, you start getting the accolades, it's how do you show up in the morning to do that really hard stuff, and and that's what I think is so important to have your self development, um, you know, be the thing that you work on. The work anybody can do, the confidence and the uh, resilience and the um, persistence are qualities that are what make you successful. Right, and some of the other things that that you share in the book are about investing time to create systems for your business that will save time in the future. Create a resume as though you're applying for a job. And and I love the the statement that that you have here that you'll be impressed by who you are. I actually experienced that when I wrote my first book. And my my first book was not a business book that would appear uh, on Amazon or or, uh, Barnes & Noble. It was a a book that was written for the industry, my travel travel industry colleagues, about uh, this very dry subject of multi-channel distribution. But when I read it and I got to the end of it, I thought, wow, I wrote that Uh because I, you know, Uh I had written it in bits and pieces and, and, uh, you know, when I read it and it was, uh, you know, actually bound and printed, I uh, I was impressed. And and I, I see how the resume can also do that when you really think through what you have accomplished. Well, I went back to my college. I was I wanted to apply for a job when my kids were little. It's like get me out of the house. You know, this is too hard. <laughs> and, and so I went up to my college to you know to create a resume. And she said, "What do you do?" And I said, "Well, I have kids come over to my house after school for art lessons." She said, "You run a community based art program." I said, "I do." <laughs> and, and then she said, "You know, I was telling her about my art." And she said, "Have you won any awards?" And I said, "Well, I got a blue ribbon at the Greenwich Art Fair." She said, "You're an award winning artist." like I am you know so it it reframed it and by the time I got done looking at it, it's like I you know because we we I don't know if it's women or uh, you know the stage we minimize things we don't take our or you know I had very critical parents you know it's like what have you done for me lately so you know it was those things were dismissed which made me a very high achiever but also I didn't really recognize how successful and talented I was until like you said a year or two later when it's like I did that 
I wrote that book. <laughs> you know, we we take it. I took it for granted. And so, right. you know, having an outside force say, "This is who you are. This is, you know, this is what it looks like." Those are really important things to to say. Wow. When I see somebody wearing a piece of my jewelry, you know, years later, it's like. I did that. Oh, my God. You know, because at the time I was just so harsh. It's like that line wasn't right and that didn't come out perfectly. So perspective is a really good thing. Absolutely. And then you also talk uh, about goals. And, you know, most everyone who talks about any level of success talks about how important it is to be able to articulate those goals. But you remind us, uh, and and my best friend and I talk about this all the time, that you will get where you want to go, but not necessarily the way that you planned. And that is followed on by a sense of humor (laughs) and learning humility. And I think it's interesting that you've got those uh, back-to-back, but I think it's really true that you have to be able to uh, to have perspective and knowing that the goals uh, aren't like, uh, you know, holes on a golf course. That, you know, exactly, you connect the and, dots. And, yeah, and you go from this one to that one. Uh, exactly, you know, If you right. happen to hit it into, into the brush, um, you know, you don't get to go to the next hole sometimes. You might lose your opportunity in business and, and have to be able to see that next thing that comes along. And, and, and to also notice the lessons that you learned when you, you know, when you weren't making it on that hole. You know what went wrong, and you know, just like you said, you know, that time. What did you call it? Um, your spectacular failure. You know, all that you got to learn from that is, you know, so valuable. I, I, you know, I used to read a lot of business books, and there was one guy who made, I think, a million dollar mistake, which was a lot of money back then, at IBM, and he, you know, gets called into the boss's office, and he goes, "You're going to fire me, right?" He goes, "Are you kidding? You just learned so much now. You'll never make that mistake again. You know, you, exactly. now you have an incredible experience." So to appreciate that even the failures give you something, and so many people are so afraid to fail, and you can't be. Right. Right. Well, actually, once I had my spectacular success, it's like, oh, man, I'm so glad I've got that behind me now because every story you've ever heard of people who are wildly successful, they've all had that major failure. And so you get to choose whether you're going to learn from it or you're going to wallow in it. It it can um, be a curse. If you read Eat, Pray, Love and heard Elizabeth Gilbert, it's like, you know, everybody was waiting to pounce on her next book. It's, you know, we don't sustain things, but, you know, like the batters, you know, if if you're batting 350, that's amazing. But that means you're missing six, you know, six times a bat every time. So it's it's a balance. Well, there is... So much that I would love to dive into, and I mean, I'm I'm uh, pretty sure that we could talk for several hours about the rest of this, because uh, I just each one of these points uh, and and the lessons that you talk about, um, I just resonate so so strongly, and and each one of them, I you know, I could put my story to each one of them, but I would love to give you just a chance to share with our listeners how people can find you. Um, you talked about blogging. Do you blog? And if so, where can they read your blog? And uh, then we will just uh, wrap wrap up. Uh, Terrific. Well, uh, my website, everything, you know, I, so talking about image, everything is pretty congruent. So my website is Jane Pollock, and my last name has no C in it, so it's J-A-N-E-P-O-L-L-A-K.com. And then from there you can get to my blog or go directly there, janepollockblog.com. So those are some really good ways to get to know me. And through July, I will not be blogging, so you can take the time to read the archives. And then August 1st, I will be back online and 
and uh, you know you'll get the wisdom of whatever I've picked up or or, or not. But <laughs> um, it's really good to take a break, and um, you know I'd love to hear from your listeners. My book is available on Amazon. It's also on iTunes. You can download it and Barnes and Noble. So it's available as an ebook and you know an audio book and also hard co- uh, soft cover. So any of those ways it's uh, available. Great. Well, I know that our listeners uh, are, are going to enjoy reading the book. As I said, we we could have spent uh, at least another hour going through the rest of the lessons that are outlined uh, in the book. So perhaps we will uh, once you're you're back in the saddle, we'll uh, we'll schedule another time when we can talk through it. Because I think I love that uh, whether whether our listeners are corporate executives or whether they are um, you know, out on their own or, or maybe just in between successes, which is what we call that uh, uh, unfortunate place where you don't have money coming in. Um, I think that the lessons that, that you have articulated in your book, Sole Proprietor, are, are so, so important for all of us. And, and they're basic, you know, but, but they will lead the remarkable women that we have in the Executive girl, Girlfriends Group. Uh, to that um, uncommon success that I think everybody is seeking. And and as you said, it's way more basic than we thought that it was to begin with. It's you know go back to Jim Rohn again. He said, "Beware anybody who sells you the new fundamentals." <laughs> you know, there 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 are certain truths that that will ring true. And what I what I hope and and tried for in my book was to um, have stories that you would be remember we would remember them to say, "Oh, that's right, dress the part." You know, what 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 am I missing here? You know, what what didn't I ask for? Uh, you know, that that kind of thing, so that you. You can say, ah, this. You know, let me try again. And what pe- most people get out of my book is that I never give up. I never give up. And right. so to have that model of somebody who's like, well, she tried that twelve times. I can, I can try one more time. I, and that's what I like yeah. to do is encourage people. It's out there for you. And if you're not, you know, I had, I had a client who said, well, I sent out a postcard. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then what did you do? And then what did you do after that? And what did you do after that? So, right. it's, uh, you know, it's really persistence is the key throughout. Definitely. Well, Jane, it has been wonderful, and thank you so much for taking time out of your sabbatical for spending time with us today. I just have so enjoyed talking to you. Me too. And I hope it's been you great. have a wonderful, wonderful weekend, and, and uh, we will look forward to your blog uh, at the beginning of August. Thanks so much, Chickie. Bye, everybody. All right, Jane. Thank you so much. For more information about the Executive Girlfriends Group, see www.executivegirlfriendsgroup.com.